Well, good morning. Uh, it's awesome, as always, to get to be together and to worship our Savior. And man, just a huge thank you to our team for leading us this morning and just setting our hearts and our minds on God. Um, even on standing there singing and hearing you sing praises to our King, just being reminded and challenged that, man, it, it is all about God, what He has done for us, but that He's worthy of our praise, He's worthy of our worship, He's worthy of our lives. And I know my heart lots of times gets so focused just on me and the things around me and what I need to do and all that kind of stuff. Just remember, it's not about that. It's about magnifying Him and seeing Him as beautiful and glorious. And that's been the point of our series in Colossians. And if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. Uh, and this is our last Sunday in the book of Colossians, so for some, that's, that's uh, sad for some, like it's about time we moved on from this book, uh, but I hope you've, you've been able to dig deep into it with us as we spent the last 12 weeks walking through this book and reading it together and memorizing scripture and talking about it in life groups and hearing it preach Sunday morning after Sunday morning after Sunday morning and one of the things that has struck me, and I hope that has struck you, is that as we've been going through this book, we, we've spent some extensive time in it, and yet I feel like we haven't even gotten close to unearthing everything that's here. And that's just a reflection of the one who, the author of this book, that, you know, it says in John, there's so much more than can be told. Uh, it would take books and books and books and you know there there is not enough space or the psalmist and psalm 40 says it's too many to recount there's so much in God in Christ and so I, I hope this has been an encouragement to you I know it has to me and we've been talking about the glories of Christ it's kind of been our, our tagline or our series line uh, that we've been using and the idea is that Colossians is a book that puts Jesus on display throughout and you see from so many different angles the beauty of the gospel, the glories, the weight, the awesomeness of who Jesus is and what he's done, God himself, uh, the Son. And in it, Paul has been writing to this church that he didn't found but that he loves and he's helping encourage their hearts to remember the gospel, to remember what has come to them, to remember what God has done, to see Christ, and even prays toward the beginning, asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will so they might walk worthy in a manner uh, that's pleasing to God. And so this morning what we want to do is kind of bring it home and, and tie some of this together. And we're going to do that by looking at the end of the book uh, and what does it look like for us? Here's, here's the idea that I want you to think about and we're going to wrestle with this morning. What does it look like for us to be captured by the glories of Christ? That they would captivate our heart, captivate our mind. What would that look like? And I think we see that here in Colossians 4. And so I'm just going to pray for us again. And I would ask you, as I pray, to join me in praying. Pray for the person to your right or to your left. Uh, but also just pray for me. Uh, that God would just give me the words to say so that we might see him together and worship him as we should. So let's pray, family. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for what we've already gotten to participate in. It's the gathering of other brothers and sisters uh, who love you, who know you, who've been saved, who've been 
rescued out of sin and rescued out of death and rescued out of complacency and rescued out of apathy and rescued out of addiction by your son that we cannot save ourselves we cannot break free of these things we cannot see you in worse views we should but you have done that and we praise you for that father and i pray and i plead this morning that that the glories of christ jesus the beauty of Jesus Christ, the, the weight of who he is and what he has done for us. I pray that it would capture and captivate our hearts this morning, that it would change our lives, Lord. We pray that you would be glorified as we just sung. We pray that our lives would be an offering, that because of your great sacrifice to us, that we'd be willing to lay our lives down for you. Father, we thank you for the promise that your word is, it doesn't return void. It it accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. And so we pray this morning that it wouldn't return void. We hold on to that promise asking that it would accomplish its purpose in this place, in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, Lord. Father, we pray that you would get the glory, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Be the glory and honor and praise for the sake of your steadfast love. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's just read this together. We're going to be in Colossians 4. We're going to start in verse 7. And this uh, is, like I said, it's the end of the book. It's the end of this letter that Paul's writing. And in it, he's going to mention several names. These are people that were traveling companions, ministry companions of Paul. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of look at what Paul says about them and what does that mean for us. And then we're also going to look at kind of the hope we have and when it comes to the glories of Christ and how it intersects our lives. So we're going to start in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, who we talked about last week, uh, and Philemon, our faithful and beloved brother. Let's pause. Having heard his story, knowing that he was useless and how God rescued him and brought him back to Philemon. We talked about forgiveness last week. Now he is that beloved brother. He is that faithful minister. It's what God does in the life of people who are far from him. It's what God has done in your life. If you're a Jesus follower in this room, it's what he's done in my life. We were far away. We were useless. And God has forgiven us and brought us into his family. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're, you're here because someone invited you or you have questions or you just were born on a Sunday morning and this was the first church you passed by. Why, well, however you're here, we're glad that you're here and encourage you just to think about and ask questions about what do these things mean for me? Onesimus. We'll keep going. He is one of you, one of the Colossians. They will tell you of everything that's taken place here. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, If he comes to you, welcome him. There's a little aside in parentheses there. And Mark uh, was on one of the early missionary journeys with Barnabas, with Paul. He deserted Paul. And as we find out later in 2 Timothy, Mark has now come back uh, and is now a part of the ministry. And so that's probably what these special instructions are. Paul's saying you might know Mark's past. His past does not define who he is. So read over those instructions. If he comes to you, encourage him as a brother because he is one. Verse 11. In Jesus, who's called Justice, uh, 
Uh, These are only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers of the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. This guy named Justice, this is the only time he's ever mentioned in Scripture, this is all we know about him. Uh, But this other note that Paul kind of makes of the circumcision, what he's saying is, these are the only Jewish believers who are serving with me. Everyone else is Greek, they're Gentile, but these are the only men of uh, Jewish descent who are serving alongside of Paul. And they've been a comfort to him. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, so he's also the church of Colossae, he actually founded the church that this letter is being written to. We talked about that at the beginning of the book, and he's now back with Paul. A servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and this is the guy that has wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, a large portion of the New Testament, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And again, we've talked about this before, but the churches in those days, they weren't like this. It wasn't a big room, a, a big gathering with programs. They met in homes. That's all they had. So that's where they would worship. And so this letter is being written to a house church, and it's meant to circulate to other house churches. Verse 16, when this letter has been read among you, have it read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Uh, which we don't have, we think. In verse 17, uh, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you perceived in the Lord. And this guy shows up in Philemon as well. Some scholars think that the letter from the Laodiceans is the book of Philemon, but we don't know for sure. It could have been another letter written by Paul. We know there are many there. In verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. And thus ends the book of Colossians. Eleven years ago, uh, my life got drastically changed and turned around uh, through an encounter, and that encounter was uh, with a person named Katie, and that encounter was a first date. And so some of you know my wife, some of you don't, but 11 years ago, we started dating, and that led to marriage, and that led to a 10-year anniversary coming up in November. And here's why I'm telling you this. When Katie and I met and fell in love and got married, it changed everything about my life, okay? So here's some ways it changed me. I'm, I'm by nature an introvert, Uh, So if you come like see me out and about, I may not say a whole lot to you. It's not because I don't like you. It's just because I'm an introvert. Any other introverts in the house, you won't raise your hands because we're introverts, right? So you might shrug a shoulder, kind of nod a head. That's what we do. We don't like to be, we don't like to be seen. So we just kind of, you know, glance, whatever that is. So that's not naturally who I, I'm not a person who talks a lot. You know, a lot of people think because I'm up here and talk, it's like, oh man, he must love being around people and talk all the time. I get my word count finished when I'm preaching and go home and quiet from that point on. And so I'm naturally an introvert. I'm a little bit hard-headed. I kind of like my things my way, that kind of thing. Well, when Katie came into my life, so many things changed. I didn't enjoy talking to people for long periods of time. But you know what happened when we started dating? We would talk for hours upon hours upon hours 
all night long about nothing, right? We just talk and talk and talk. And this person who doesn't like to talk and begin talking, other things change. I don't really like going hiking. I'm not a mountains person. I don't like camping. I don't like, you know, just going out in the hot sun and moving around. That's not fun. That's exercise. That's not enjoyable. Katie loves being out, sightseeing, all these kind of things. And we began going to Bays Mountain, and we began going on hikes, and we began going on all these things. These things I would never do, I began doing. I began dressing differently. Instead of just wearing flip-flops all the time uh, with a t-shirt, I began dressing up a little bit more. My wardrobe began to change. The way I would spend money changed. Um, if you'd asked me before Katie came along, I would tell you like buying flowers is pointless. Why would you buy something that's dead that's going to get more dead? Why would you spend money on that? That makes no sense. But now what do I do? Amen. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to say anything. So... But now I buy flowers for my wife regularly, right? I did it then, I do it now. Even though they're dead and they're going to become more dead, I spend money on these things that aren't going to last. Why? Why would all that happen? Because Katie captivated my heart. She captured my heart and it changed my life. And so it is for us as Jesus followers when Jesus captures our heart. When the glories of Christ capture our hearts. That's what what we just read is all about. These men that Paul is talking about, this isn't just a closing to a letter. It is that, but it's so much more. These people that he's talking about, these, these brothers, these sisters in the faith, they're ordinary people, just like you and me. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Gospels, I think about Paul and John and Peter and the apostles and disciples and these early people. I'm like, I'm nowhere, I'm nothing like them. But these people that are listed here, they're normal people just like us. But what we see in them is that the glories of Christ had captured their hearts and it had changed their lives. And so here's, here's the big idea that I want us to think about this morning that we see in this text it's, is this. When the glories of Christ capture our hearts, the way we love and the way we live drastically changes. When the glories of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the weight, all that we've seen in Colossians of who God is and what he's done through his son Jesus in your place, in my place, grace, love, forgiveness, redemption, all these things, when those become a reality to us and we understand them, it changes us from the inside out. It changes the way we love God. It changes the way we love others. It changes our affections, but it also changes the way that we live. And there's no way for us to be a Christian, a true Jesus follower, and kind of be halfway in this. Just like when Katie and I got married. She captivated, she captured my heart. It changed me. It changed the way I love. So much more when Christ captivates our hearts, it changes us from the inside out. And so what I want to do in our time this morning is I want to ask and answer two questions about what does it look like for the glories of Christ to capture our hearts? That's the first question we're going to try to answer. The second question is how can or how does the glory of Christ capture our hearts so if we know it should and most of us in this room would say yes we're Christians yes we believe in Jesus yes he's king he's lord of our lives what does it look like then for the love of Christ to capture our hearts how does that happen and then I want to close uh, with two stories about two different 
men that we see here. So question number one, what does it look like when the glories of Christ capture our hearts? You can, uh, that's kind of an aside, you can download the notes, they're online, there's more there than we're going to be able to cover this morning, and so that's there for you. But I do want to say very quickly, before we walk through some of these things, that these are descriptive, they're not prescriptive. And so Paul's not in this passage saying, hey, be like Tychicus, or hey, be like Luke, or hey, be like this person. We've had that all throughout the Colossians. Put this off, put this on, pursue this, run to this, run from that. Here's just a description, but these things are characteristics that become true in us when the glories of Christ capture our hearts. So here's what I want you to be thinking about uh, as, you, as we walk through this. Are these things true of me? Are these things true of me? Are these things alive in me? And so there's going to be some different responses to this. One for us is that if we're loving and following Jesus Christ, we should be praying that these characteristics become true in us. But there's another response. If, if we go through this list and, and you're sitting there and you're looking through these things, you're saying, I am none of these. Like This doesn't look like me at all in any way. Then it might be kind of a, a siren to say, man, have the glories of Christ captivated your heart at all? Are you actually a believer? Have these things changed in you? Are they changing in you? And so let's walk through these characteristics together. There are 10. We'll move through them very quickly, and you can grab them online. What, what does it look like when the glories of Christ capture our hearts? Here's the first one. When Christ captures our hearts, we sacrificially love our faith family more and more. Look at verse 7 with me. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. And he says three things about Tychicus that I want to look at. Here's the first one. He is a beloved brother. Beloved means dearly love. It's, it's agape love. It's the actual word here. It's a deep, deep love. Brother, that's a familial word. They're not literally brothers, right? They're brothers by being son and daughters of God. You've been blood-bought, brought into the family of God through adoption. So this is what Paul's saying. When he thinks about Tychicus, he's a dearly loved member of the family of God. We, as Tri-Cities Baptist Church, are a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. When people think of your name, when they think of you, they think of someone who's a dearly loved member of their family. Do they think of me that way? We talked about this last week, the idea of quantania, it means fellowship. It means seeing every believer on equal standing, equal plane, and equal love for them because we've been brought by God into his family. And so love is not an action, it's not a feeling, it's, it's an action. It is a feeling, but it's more than a feeling, it's more than an experience. Love is action. And Tychicus was intentionally loving his brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, one of the ways he was doing that was by carrying this letter from Paul to the church to be a blessing to them. And so a question that you and I need to be asking our, each other and ourselves is, man, do we love this faith family that God has called us to? Am I loving you well? 
Are you loving me well? Are you loving these people in your life group well? Are you loving these people across the pew well? If the love of Christ and the glories of Christ, the beauty of Christ captivates and captures our hearts, it creates in us a love for the family of God. And so one of the ways that we've talked about this some in the student ministry is uh, the church is a family, not a food court. Uh, you guys know what a food court is if you've ever been to a mall, and I would assume most of us have, right? You go to the food court and you get whatever you want, and you get it your way. If you want Pals on Chinese, you can have like a Pals burger on Chinese. Or if you want Chick-fil-A with, you know, a pizza, a piece of pizza on it, you can go get that. You get it however you want it. But that's not what a family is, right? Family's messy. Family, you don't get it your way. You take it as it comes, but you love people and you sacrifice for people in your own family. The church is not a food court. It's not come get all of our preferences exactly the way we want them or we go somewhere else. It's a family we belong to. And so do you love and are you growing in your love and affection for the family of God? If the glories of Christ have captured your heart, it creates a compelling love in you for the people of God. Here's the second one. When Christ captures our hearts, ministry and mission are not add-ons to our already busy lives, but instead ministry and mission define our lives. Look again at verse 7. Titus will tell you of my activities. He's a beloved brother. Then it says he's a faithful minister. And that word literally means servant. He's a faithful servant. A faithful servant. Several years ago, I had this idea in my head that I had my life, and it's busy, and it's crazy, and there's work, and family, and all these different things in it, and then on top of that, I needed to figure out ways to do ministry, to live on mission, to do these other things. And then I began actually reading the Bible, uh, which is a good thing to do, and I began to see, what you know what, it's not life plus ministry, life plus mission, Ministry and mission are life for the Jesus follower. Amen? It's not an add-on. It defines everything we do. And so Tychicus, he is serving, not just like doing random things or waiting a table, but he's serving people so that they can see the beauty of God on display. Right? Because when something captivates and captures your heart, what do you do? You tell other people about it. This is what we do today. You have an awesome hamburger at your favorite restaurant or a favorite steak. What do you do? You take a selfie with it or take a selfie of it and you put it on Facebook or you put it on Instagram for the world to see. Why? Because you want everyone to be jealous of what you've gotten to have, right? Well, no, that's not the reason. You want to put on display what's important to you. We put our kids, our grandkids, we put all these things. Why? Because we want people to participate in that. And when the gospel captures our hearts, it compels us to want to have other people see and participate in that so we serve them. So ministry and mission, it's not something that we add on to our already busy lives. It defines everything we do. I don't go to work, then go do ministry. I do ministry at my work. I don't hang out with my family and play with my kids then go do ministry I minister to my children and my family I speak the truth of the gospel into their lives 
I don't go to life group and then go out on mission. I live on mission with my life group. I don't walk into church and come to service and then go out and live on mission. I come to church and I serve my brothers and sisters so that they can see the beauty of Christ on display. It's not either or, it's it's both and. We see this in Tychicus' life. The exact same word is the word that Jesus used for himself in Mark 10, 45. And this is what he said. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Faithful minister. Are you, am I, faithful ministers of what God's called us to? Here's the third one that we see in Tychicus' life, and we'll keep moving. He says, I will tell you about his activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. When Christ captures our hearts, we see him not only as our savior and helper, but even more we see him as our master and king. Master and king. I think there is a, um, a dangerous thing in our, in our lives, in our culture, especially it's growing in the church subculture today, where we see Jesus as our Savior, which he is, our helper, which he is. We see that in God's word. We see him as an example. We see him as a model. But we don't really see him as master, king, and Lord. But you cannot have Jesus as your Savior and not have him as your Lord. Can't happen. And so when he says that he is a servant, a, a bond slave uh, of the Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that Jesus is his master in everything, in all things. He's the one he's devoted to. And personally, I probably wouldn't go around most of the time saying, I'm a slave of Jesus, I'm a slave of Jesus. We, we wouldn't use that word because the word slave has such a negative connotation in, in our culture. But in this culture, being a slave was bad or good based upon who your master is. And when your master is Jesus, being a slave of Jesus is a good thing, right? In fact, families would a lot of times become servants, become slaves, if there was a good master there because it meant that the family could prosper. And so Tychicus is under the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ. So really practically for us, Is Jesus Lord of your life? Does he have a say in everything? Is everything put through that perspective? Whatever you're living for is the Lord of your life. Is Jesus what you're living for? And so those are are three just practical characteristics of what it looks like when the glories of Christ capture our hearts. And so I want to do is just quickly run through some of the others that are in this passage. Are these true of you? Are they true of me? When Christ captures our hearts, we sacrificially love our faith family more and more. When Christ captures our hearts, ministry and mission are not add-ons to our lives, but they define our lives. When Christ captures our hearts, we see him not only as our savior and helper, but even more as our master and king. Here's the next one. When Christ captures our hearts, we embody encouragement. Embody encouragement. Look at verse 8. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. When the glories of Christ capture your heart, when they capture my heart, 
we become people of encouragement. Are others encouraged by your life? And not just like, are you a cheerleader? Are you a fan? Are you someone who pushes people forward? But do you embody gospel encouragement? Gospel affirmation? So are you looking for ways, am I looking for ways to help encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ in who God is making them to be? John Piper says it this way, when our mouths are empty with praise for others, it's probably because our hearts are full of love for self. When our mouths are empty with praise for others, it's probably because our hearts are full of love for self. So when I practically look at a friend or I look at my wife or I look at you, do I see things that God is doing in you and do I call those out? Man, I love the way that you are kind to that person. The reason you're kind to that person is because you understand the kindness of God. It's encouraging someone in the gospel. Friends, the church and Jesus followers, we should be the most encouraging people on the planet, right? Because we've seen and tasted and experienced the kindness and grace of Jesus Christ. And we all know that a lot of times those who work on Sundays in the service industry, they say Sundays is the worst day to work. Why? Because sometimes church people are the most discouraging, cheap people there are. Let that not be true of us. May we be the kind of family that is encouraging, that is putting the gospel out, that's modeling that for the world to see because we've been captivated by the love of Christ. So keep going. When Christ captures our hearts, fifthly, we see risk is right. I think this is incredible. Look at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Notice what he says there. Don't glance over it. My fellow prisoner greets you. And what we know about this guy is that he probably wasn't thrown in prison for doing anything wrong. He chose to go to prison to be with Paul. I don't know about you, but I'm not willingly choosing to go to prison, right? I love Daniel Broyles, but if Daniel gets thrown in prison today, I don't know if I'm going to go hang out with you, brother. I'm sorry. I just don't know if I would do that. I love you. I don't know if I love you that much. But this guy is going to prison with Paul. And notice that Paul doesn't say that this is a bad thing. And in our culture, we tend to think that being a Christian and being a follower of Jesus means being safe. But when we experience the gospel and the beauty of Jesus Christ, we begin to see that risk is right when we risk for the gospel. Now, I'm not saying go out and spend all your money on bad investments. I'm not saying go out and blow everything. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying as the people of God, we should be willing to risk greatly for the cause of Christ. And if that means relocating your family from here to the other side of the world to advance the gospel in a place where no one knows the name of Jesus, that kind of risk is right. Moms and dads, letting your college student, your high school student go on a mission trip go away to leverage their life for the gospel. Maybe you don't go on vacation this year. Maybe you take that money and you give it for the sake of missions. Maybe you take that summer vacation and instead go on a mission trip. There is a cost to following Christ and that cost and that risk is worth it because God is worth it. So do we see risk, gospel-centered risk, as right for us? Here's the next one. When Christ captures our hearts, we carry comfort to the oppressed. 411, 
and Jesus who's called justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. When the gospel and the glory of Jesus captures and captivates our hearts, we want to be people who carry comfort to the oppressed within the faith family and outside it. Now, we use the word hospitality a lot uh, in church world. And hospitality is not just having people over to your house and having food and hanging out. and that, That's part of it. But true gospel hospitality is generously giving of your home and of yourself to those who can give you nothing back. Often, the scripture uses the word strangers and aliens. People who can never repay, those are the people we bless. In fact, the word hospitality, it's the same word that we get the root, uh, it's the same root that we get the word hospital from. The idea is that when people come into your home, are they healed? Just like you go to a hospital for healing, when they enter your house, when they enter your life, when they enter your presence, is there healing there? Is it life-giving or life taking. We're to be a people who comfort the oppressed. 2 Corinthians 1 says that God is the God of all mercy and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. And sometimes that means like Matthew 5 that we mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep. We are there with hurting people. The gospel compels us to go where the hurting are. Keep going. When Christ captures our hearts. We become passionate and persistent in prayer. Verse 412, uh, or, or chapter 4, verse 12, we see this picture of Epaphras, who we've heard some about, and it says this, He is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. I don't know about you, But often, and this is just being completely honest in my own shortcomings, the word struggling in prayer would not characterize me very much. Pray over a meal, pray to start the day, pray for my kids, but am I struggling in prayer on behalf of you, on behalf of my family, on behalf of my city, on behalf of the lost. This has been a deep conviction in my life that I want to become a man like Epaphras, who's laying down my time to pray for the saints, pray for those far from God. I was really convicted about this um, a month or two ago. We were in our elders meeting, and uh, Mr. Charles Chandler, who's one of our just faithful elders, has been here since the beginning of the church, uh, and he asked for an updated list of the members of our church, all the names of, of them and their family members, because he and Nelda pray for every single member by name every single week. Isn't that incredible? If you and your family are part of this church family, you're prayed for by name every single week, struggling on behalf of prayers. The love of Christ calls us to be a people who pray, who call out to God, who pursue Him in all things. When Christ captures our hearts, making disciples matters to us. Verse 13, it talks about how Epaphras, his desires that would become mature, 
that they would grow, that they would be assured in their salvation. It says he's working, and that word work, it means to agonize, it means to fight, it means to struggle. He is working on behalf of the saints. For those of us who have seen Jesus Christ, who've seen the beauty of the gospel, it's captured our hearts. It should cause us to want to see other people become followers of Jesus Christ and grow in their understanding of God's word and mature into that? Do you long to see others love and follow Jesus Christ? Is there anyone in your life that you are investing in, that you're helping them grow in God's word, you're helping them to mature, you're helping them be assured in the faith that you might say, Paul, I don't even know if I'm there. I don't feel mature. I'm unsure most days. Well, that's okay. But who are you investing in? Who are you helping grow? Epaphras was doing that. When Christ captures our hearts, we want other people to become more like Christ. That's what the Great Commission, Matthew 28, is all about. Next, and I love this one. When Christ captures our hearts, we see our vocations not as a means to make a living, but as a means to advance the good news. When Jesus captures your heart you don't see your vocation as a means to earn a living to find an identity but as a means to proclaim the good news verse 14 Luke the beloved physician greets you it doesn't say hardly anything about Luke but what do we know about Luke well he was commissioned by Theophilus to go and find out about Jesus Christ. So he was a trusted physician who did his work well and he was paid to go and find out about Jesus and he wrote those things down and he wrote the Gospel of Acts. Now he's with Paul on his missionary journey. He leveraged his vocation as a physician so that you and I could have this word in front of you today, in front of me today. Your job, your career, your school, high school, middle school, college, whatever it is, it's not meant to further you. It's meant to further the name of Jesus Christ. And so are you leveraging your vocation, the money you earn, the relationships you have, the people who work under you, the people who work above you, with you? Are you helping them see Jesus Christ? You don't have to go around the world on missions. That's great, and I hope and pray that that happens more and more in our church. But you can go to your job or to your kids. If, if you're a stay-at-home mom and you're like my wife, our kids don't know Jesus, and there's a mission field there, and are you intentional to be missional there or at the park or at the gym or at the Y or in the school clubs and all those things? God has given us these places, these fears, so that we can proclaim the good news of Christ there. And if we can't share the gospel here, we're not going to be able to share the gospel out there around the world. So when Christ captures our hearts, it gives us a burden for the lost. I was talking to a lady this week who's been extremely involved in um, our, our next-gen ministries, and she's having to step down from her role because she serves in the school system. And in brokenness, this, a couple days ago, in my office, she's crying because she doesn't want to have to leave her role, but she can't continue to faithfully minister at the school that God's called her to and do the same level of what she's doing here. 
And so he said, listen, we release you from here. We want you to go. And she's investing in kids' lives and families' lives, and she's sharing the gospel, and she's spending hours upon hours upon hours outside of her work, what she's paid for, to help families see the gospel at this broken school that she goes to. And we talked about it a couple years ago. She didn't want to go to school. She wanted a different thing, and God redirected her here. But now this is her mission field, and she sees that, and she's broken by that. Your vocation, my vocation, it is our mission field. Do we see it that way? What if our church was like that? What if we lived like that? Here's the last one. When Christ captures our hearts, we long to faithfully fulfill the calling that God's placed on our lives. Look at verse 17. And say to Archippus, see that you're faithful, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Here's the idea. God has given us all a calling in our lives. And you're not called to have to go out today and figure out that calling. What is God's will for your life? But this is what you and I are called to. Be faithful with what God has given us today. That's what we're called to. And we do know what God's will is for our life. The great commission. The great commandment. Go therefore. Do these things. Flee these things. All throughout God's word are clear calls and commendations for our life. So I just want to encourage you, brother or sister, live out the calling that God has given you in a way that magnifies his worth. You're not worthy of Christ. We're called to walk and live in a way that proclaims his worth for the watching world to see. So the first question is, what does it look like when the glories of Christ captivate our hearts? And so that's that question. Here's the last question. How do the glories of Christ capture our hearts? How do they capture our hearts? And there's just one answer, and I think verse 18 spells it out for us. The glories of Christ... Christ captures our hearts when we personally experience and live in light of the radical grace that we've been shown through him. How does the glory of Christ captivate our hearts? Look at verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting from my own hand. Remember my chains. And these are the key words. If you underline or highlight, I encourage you to do it here. Grace be with you. So how do these things happen? Only through understanding the grace of Jesus Christ. Experiencing the grace of Christ. So you and I, we can't go out and look at this list of ten things. Okay, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that, I'm going to do those things. That never happens unless, unless our hearts have been captured and captivated by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. When you and I were undeserved sinners, enemies of God, God stepped in and sent his son to die in your place, to die in my place, to rescue us. And not only has he done that, but he brings us into his own family. I told you guys this story before. In middle school, I played one year of football and was absolutely terrible at it because I didn't like hitting people or being hit. And I was a defensive lineman, okay? So that is a bad, and that's not what you want to do. Well, we went undefeated through the season. I would always come in when we were up 50 points or more, you know, play a little bit, that kind of thing. We got to the championship game, tied all the way through the fourth quarter. It goes in double overtime. We win in double overtime. Guess how much playing time I got in the championship game? Nothing, right? I didn't even come off the bench. They didn't even look my way. 
guess what I got at the end of the championship game? I got a trophy. Did I earn the trophy? No, I did not earn the trophy. I'll just be completely honest. I did not. But why did I get the trophy? Because my identity was tied to the team. And what it had accomplished was now what I had received. And so much further, this is what's happened to us through the gospel. We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't go to church enough. We can't be kind enough. We, we can't do any of that. We are so far from God, but God has saved us through Jesus. And now we get to be a part of his family. We get eternal life. We get those things we sung about before. And so the way the gospel captivates and captures our hearts is by experiencing it and remembering it. Have you been captured by the grace that's in Jesus Christ? I just want to close by two very short stories right from this passage. There are two men that are mentioned here, one being Mark and one being Demas. They're both traveling companions to Paul. They're both in the ministry. They're both uh, helped plant churches around, uh, around Asia at that time. And in 2 Timothy, we, we get a little bit more of a picture of what's happening. 2 Timothy 4 uh, says this. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Demaltia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, bring him with me, for he's very useful to me in ministry. I want you to hang on, because this is so important. So at the end of Colossians, Paul mentions this guy named Demas. Demas greets you. Only other places we see him in the New Testament says the same thing. Demas greets you, Demas. Except here. And look at what happens. And I want you to catch the tragedy in this. This guy who's probably a Christian, helped plant churches, was with Paul. We get to the end of Paul's ministry in life, 2 Timothy, and this is what it says. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. A love for the world outweighed a love for Jesus Christ. What you love determines your identity. And your identity always defines your legacy. And we don't know what happened to Demas. We don't know the backstory. All we know, all Scripture tells us, his legacy is that he deserted Paul and Christ. What you love determines your destination. But then it goes on and talks about this guy named Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me in ministry. And I love that these two men are right next to each other. Because we see in Acts 13 that Mark goes on a missionary journey with Paul and with Barnabas. You can keep the passage up on the screen. And uh, what we see in this is that Mark runs away. He leaves. He deserts Paul. And Paul gets so upset about it that when he goes on the next missionary journey, he won't take Mark with him. So Barnabas and Paul, they split. Barnabas takes Mark. Paul takes Silas. And they go out on mission. Paul will have nothing to do with Mark because Mark, like Demas, is a deserter. But then church history begins to fill in the gaps. And church history tells us that Mark became the apprentice to the apostle Peter. And at the end of the book of 1 Peter, we see that Mark is tagged there. Mark later writes and authors the gospel of Mark. And then we get into Colossians and then here and we see this. 
Paul's saying, bring Mark with you. He's useful to me in ministry. Here's the point. I want, you, I want you, everybody to hang with me in this. Two different men. Two made incredible failures and mistakes. Anyone in here have some pretty major failures and mistakes and regrets? Say most of us. One's legacy is defined by that. Why? Because he was in love with this present world. What was the change for Mark? The grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ captured his heart. And it changed his life from the inside out. And it changed his legacy. And it changed his identity. Here's my question this morning, church, as we finish the book of Colossians. What do you love most? What has captivated your heart today? If we were to be completely honest, sit in a room, just you and me, if you had to show me your calendar, your bank account, your thoughts, what occupies the love of your heart today? My prayer is that for us, that we'd be a people who reject the lie of the enemy and who cling to the grace that's in Jesus Christ. That these characteristics would become true of us. Just think about how it would change your family. Think about how it would change our community, our church, if these things became true of us. That list of ten things, because the love of Christ compelled us to. And the book of Colossians is an appeal from Paul to this church to follow Jesus Christ, to love Jesus Christ, to not turn after false gospels, but to be captivated by Christ. What is captivating your heart this morning? To ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes as we go into response. I just want to pray over us. And here's my prayer. Here's what I ask you to pray and even think about. Ask God, God, what is captivating my heart this morning? Have the glories of Christ, the, blue, the beauty of who you are, what you've done for me, true grace, has it captured my heart? And if there's anything that is in that place other than Jesus Christ, I just encourage you to repent, to confess that now. We want our lives and all that we are and all that we have, we would be a kind of people who love Jesus most. That we would not have the legacy like Ademus, who's here at the end of Colossians 4, but we would have a legacy that looks like Tychicus, a legacy that looks like Mark, a legacy that looks like Luke. Ordinary men who experienced the grace of Jesus Christ and it changed the way they live and they love. May it change us. Father, we love you. I pray that we would become a kind of people who love you most that our lives would be an offering, that all that we have and all that we are would be for you. Father, I pray this morning that you would break idols, that you break sin in our lives so that we could be men and women who are captured by your grace. It's your name we pray. Amen.